Okay. He wasn't looking hey. and I thought you just like... <laughs> hey, not your turn. <laughs> going to mute you. Happy New Year. You're listening to Midnight Theology, a podcast where we talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life as they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and as always, I'm joined by the Gabe Wank. Oh, wow. Hey, Happy New Year. (laughs) Sarah Wank. Hey, y'all. And Adam Penn. Howdy. Thanks for joining us again. Shake off the late night party from a couple nights ago. This is the midnight you've been waiting for. Midnight Theology Season 3. Let's go. Welcome to 2023. We made it through Advent, through Christmas, now into a new year. I feel like we have been perpetually saying for years now that the next year has to be better than the current (laughs) year. So we'll see how 2023 lives into that because 2020, 2021, and 2022 did not live up to the expectations. But as you look into the new year, guys, what are you looking forward to the most? Not a repeat of last year. I just said we cyclically said that. <laughs> okay. <How laughs> and it ke- keeps, keeps not going. I know so. what I'm looking forward to most. Dissertation defense. Oh! And getting that over with. Coming up at the end of this month. I Yes. May not long you'll have them chevrons, baby. There we go. <laughs> Dr. Larry Frank and Dr. Sarah Wank. I can't wait for Adam Penn's coronation. Coronation? <laughs> no, but oh, not coronation. Nobody, what do they call nobody, it? No, nobody's acceding to a throne. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to give me know? a throne, I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the wrong word. Terminology, uh, delete. The, uh, what do you call it? The bestowal of the degree? Is it bestowed upon you? What degree? Well, the one you're going to go after. Next. Oh, I think he's prophesying. Oh, yeah, you're here prophesying we are over me. You call it what you want. I think it's 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 in yeah. it's in your future. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, I laughed out loud when he said the same thing to me about three and a half years ago. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> here we are. And yet here you are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. Right, like um, we Gabe and I have done a lot of school while also doing ministry. And it, it's just this, like, cloud that's over you all the time, you know? I should be reading. I should be studying. I should be working on this thing. And, you know, I've got this deadline to meet. And it's like pig pen and, and peanuts with just that, like, cloud of dust around you. And and there's something about being done that lifts that cloud. And I'm very much looking forward to that. But uh, the, the last couple of years have beat me down a little bit. So So just about the time that I think, oh, I can't wait to, like, have that time back, right? Or have space back with my family or have this. Then I I think about all the things that are still ahead and I'm like, oh, there's no more time. I mean, like it will free me up, but it, but it won't. (laughs) So, so that's don't, maybe this isn't a good time to ask that question because it's, it's exciting to have it behind me, but life is a lot, you know, it just, it's always a lot. And so I don't, I don't know that um, the relief I think I'm going to get is actually coming. That's the pessimist in me at the moment, I which think is the rare. Pessimist, the pessimist in me keeps saying, okay, what now? Like, yeah. there's yeah. always been that that next thing. And Brittany made the comment the other night, like, she didn't realize until I started the Doctor of Ministry project how, she said, I didn't realize how much you needed this. Mm, like, it was yeah. something to work on, something to do. And it's like, you know, what's the, you know, I, I don't want to put my dissertation up on a shelf and never use it again. Right. So what's the, you know, as... So many people do. Um, what's the, what's next? What's the next project um, to keep moving and improving myself? And no, it will not be a PhD. <laughs> so, sure, not gonna Larry. Sure. You, not gonna what are you looking forward to? <laughs> I think for for me, just kind of living into the new season of life we find ourselves in here in Morton. You know, twenty twenty two obviously was a year with lots of transition for my family, and so just kind of enjoying this new season of life as a family together, uh, new season of ministry. Uh, we just feel very blessed to be where we're at and have really been enjoying it so far. But 
with the the transition piece kind of behind us kind of being able to fully lean into that is is kind of what i'm looking forward to this year so yeah nice nice definitely you babe well yeah well you know i answered incorrectly uh to start with (laughs) it wasn't incorrect i just said it was the epitome (laughs) of what we've all said every year and it's never come true making you you redo it i know the answer you're looking forward to your wife being done with her (laughs) i mean honestly i'm looking forward to may i'm looking forward to your graduation you and larry uh celebrating the accomplishments of what has come uh to fruition uh and making more memories with Hudson and family and friends and just really, uh, you know, life has become so much more precious, uh, in the last few years, uh, just uh, kind of running into, uh, mortality, humanity, and seeing the value in each and every day, the gift of each day, uh, just trying to leaning into that. Um, and then, you know, watching you and Larry go through this process, uh, explore your passions, uh, put it on paper and, and do some trial runs, but then watching that start to unfold and that affects, uh, all our lives and how we continue on and, and move in ministry. So it's exciting to see what's going to happen in 2023. That was a good answer, Gabe. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback on that and redo mine so that I don't sound like such a downer, like life's not going to get any better. You know what I'm looking forward to is uh, a day by the pool with you all and your children this summer where we do nothing but soak in the sun and listen to our children play in the pool. Um, those are those are life giving yes. sort of days. Maybe it's Giggles the grayness outside. I need the sun. <laughs> Giggles and splashes. Yeah. We we did have one of those days last year. It was yeah. awesome. In twenty twenty two, yeah, it was great. It was Bum-bum. awesome. Gabe went down the water slide as much as the kids. Surprise, surprise. Hey, I like the diving board. <laughs> That's what I meant. That's what I meant. So one thing I know we're all excited about in this new year is a new book that's coming from Invite Resources, Everybody Needs Some Cave Time, authored by George Acevedo, the lead pastor of Grace Church, a multi-site ministry in the Fort Myers, Florida area, very soon to be Dr. George Acevedo. He's in the same, co- the same cohort as Sarah and me at United Theological Seminary. He's become a great mentor and spiritual father and more importantly, friend to us. George, Poppy, welcome back. Back, it's good to be to midnight, back to Midnight Theology. You are our first repeat guest, so that kind of makes you a midnight a Midnight Theology legend. Ooh. Two times. <laughs> so, so Two time we've all legend. we've all we've legends all are reserved for old people. By the way, that's, that's true. <laughs> Dang, we've got this Love thing you, about Poppy. not sl- not slowing the bus down before we run someone over with it. So. <laughs> You just experienced it. So we've all had a chance to uh, look at the book. Uh, Sarah and I have been helping you with the the launch stuff for it. It's coming out uh, this month. Uh, And I'm sure we all have some questions from stuff we've looked at. But first, uh, would you tell us just a little bit about how Cave Time came about or the idea came from, what brought you to this, and then kind of walk us through the progression of the caves? Sure, sure. So uh, the the book was really birthed out of... um, an article that I had read online. It was just one of those, I don't even remember the article. I couldn't find it again. I tried looking for it. Uh, And it was just a blog I was reading one day as I was uh, surfing, uh, doing some research. And it it just mentioned this thing about caves and people being in them in the Bible. And it made me think, gosh, I've noticed that pattern that caves became kind of this a biblical metaphor for seasons of life that people find themselves in, most often difficult season. And so I, I just started, it just one thing led to another, and I started doing some uh, biblical research and found all of these caves. And there were more than seven. Um, and I brought the idea to our uh, teaching team. We have a, a, a little bit of a unique uh, uh, way in which we plan sermons in that we uh, we have a gathering of about uh, eight to a dozen people depending on the Monday and we work on our sermons together twice a year we get together and plan typically six months January to June and then July to August uh, we always celebrate Advent we always celebrate Lent Easter and then we always celebrate Pentecost try to preach uh, thematic or or biblical uh, books or pericopes within those seasons. And uh, I pitched the idea of walking through the seven caves uh, 
ending in the cave of resurrection um, uh, on Easter Sunday. And our team loved it. Uh, the original sermon series is called Everybody Does Some Cave Time. Um, and then it just kind of sat in on my files for the next several years until Invite Resources asked me to uh, write a book. And I pitched that book. I had been wanting to write that book. Uh, I've not written what I would call a Christian living book, uh, you know, for ordinary plain people, uh, what Wesley said, plain truth for plain people. Uh, and so um, uh, I pitched the book idea to them, uh, went to the other two guys that helped me write the series, make sure that they were okay with me uh, using that material and uh, got their sign off and, and was off to the races. That's cool. Awesome. So, so I've, I've heard you say that this is a book that's 62 and a half years in the making. Right. Yeah, because it, it really is in some ways, uh, I tell a lot of my kind of autobiographical story uh, in there, particularly the season of life that we, uh, the darkest season of our life, which was the 15 years we walked through my son's uh, addiction and mental illness. And, um, and so that's kind of peppered throughout the whole book. Um, and yeah, so it, it's a, it's a, uh, it's not a. It, it didn't take a year and a half to write. It took sixty-two and a half years mm. to write. And uh, awesome. I'm going blank. Is this this is like book number seven? Seven, I think. I think How, it's seven. You know, yeah. before you get into like the content, the you know the movement of the book, I think you just kind of hit on it a bit. But how is this one different, uh, you know, for you than the others? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's significantly more uh, personal and autobiographical, though I, I want to be clear to your audience that it's it's not just me vomiting my, you know, I'm not doing therapy on the pages. It's I really work hard at uh, biblical integrity, allowing the story of the scriptures. It's mostly about the biblical characters. I illustrate it with little slivers of my own personal life and the life of others that I know and love. So um, I did do one book, which was a collaborative book for Advent a number of years ago for Abington. Uh, it really was the bestseller that I've ever uh, ever written. It sold a, a boatload of copies. And it was a really, I mean, it was soup to nuts. It had the devotional guide and preaching materials, small group materials and all the rest. Um, and, and, and yet that book, I really just, I, I, even though I designed the book and wrote the opening and closing chapter, uh, I had four partners with me to help me through through that. So it's it, it, this is really my first entree into kind of a solo thing, um, trying to write more in the realm of what, you know, I'm, I'm going to date myself when I say this, you know, Chuck Swindoll and, uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, people like him, right, pastors like him who take their sermon series and then uh, translate those into books. And I'm hoping that... It, I'm hoping that it really in my in my retirement it will be what I will, I will do. I've got 27 years of preaching here at Grace Church. I'm I'm ready to turn into books. Yeah, many of your previous books because you you just have a giftedness for uh, leadership in ministry, uh, helping other people get clarity around leadership, and so some of your previous work is in that direction. This feels different because. It's sort of speaking to the disciple in all of us, right? Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it it yeah. will speak to the church leader, right? Uh, yeah. But it will also speak right to the average person just trying to find uh, their way in life and faith. And so it's uh, it's kind of a a really special offering, I think, as it shifts gears from you know leadership and pointing people in a you know a direction of uh, growing the church, making better disciples, and it just kind of shifts into. Um, a personal place of discipleship, I think, for all of us, which is really cool. Yeah, and that's my hope. Uh, you, you, I think uh, everybody uh, that's with us here knows Wesley's uh, simple mantra, you know, plain truth for plain people. And so this is my first kind of entree into that. Most of my other books that I've written have really been, as you said, Sarah, designed to, to really help leaders uh, be more faithful and fruitful in in their in their ministry context. Yeah, I want this book to be for for the folks sitting in your Sunday school class at Christ Church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 no, go, go ahead. ahead. 
I, I was gonna say, I think I think you do that really well. I'm I'm impressed with you know, how accessible it is for for anyone um, that it, you're not. Um, it's it's not it's not flashy. It's just it's just real. Walking through walking through these different caves and real life experiences uh, that that you have had or others have had um, walking through those uh, those caves. Yeah, and and so you, you had said at the very beginning, you know, uh, tell you a little bit about how I mm-hmm. came to the book, but also maybe just a real quick thumb, you know, quick flyover. There are seven caves, uh, and the seven caves that that I chose. Uh, were um, to walk with Samson in the cave of anger. Brother had some anger issues uh, that became very contagious, and anger is uh, is a contagion that affects families and homes and churches and schools and nations and worlds. Um, and so uh, we walk through that cave. And then we walk with King David through the cave of fear, one of my most favorite chapters. Uh, it's the cave of Adullam. Uh, where uh, David gathered with a, uh, a group of folks as he was on the run from not only King Saul, but also, I, I would suggest, from himself. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a cave of fear, and we all know the uh, realities of fear. It's been said there's 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for every day of the week. And uh, uh, I've never counted them. I, Larry probably has, but uh, <laughs> I haven't counted them. Hey, hey. Um, and then um, I think the one that uh, is most personal to my family is uh, with Elijah in the cave of depression. Uh, my wife and my son have struggled from, with clinical depression. And so um, there, there was a lot of personal fodder in that story. Um, but Elijah you know, comes off a mountaintop experience defeating the prophets uh, of Baal and then sinks into a deep depression. Sounds like a lot of us in life, you know, we come off these high moments that lead us into really dark places of depression. And then uh, the one cave that um, I think um, uh, folks would maybe find, like scratch their head, is we go with Jesus into the cave of temptation. Um, The writer of Hebrews says we have a high priest who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And so uh, wanted to address the issue of temptation. And um, uh, I, I talk about, I've been out of my own life um, the, the ways of escape that God has given me around money, sex, and power in my life. And so we address some of those in that chapter. Uh, then we go with Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, uh, into the cave of grief. And all of us uh, have death knock at our door at some point in the, or another. Um, some of my dearest friends are, on, are a part of this podcast, and, and you guys have walk through death that even this old guy hasn't walked through. Both of my parents are still alive at 96. And so, uh, you know, I know that uh, this cave is coming for me as my father-in-law is sitting in a rehab center uh, having TIAs after TIAs and strokes. So Cheryl and I both know that with my parents at 96, her dad uh, with a stroke, that uh, this is going to be a cave we're going to enter. But as a pastor, I've walked with you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, into the cave of grief. Then uh, we go kind of, we do this real quick stop um, with Mary Magdalene in the cave of hopelessness. And we really are looking there at Mary who literally stood at the cave of Jesus. She was one of the Marys there. And what does it mean to be hopeless? And I suggest in the book that hopelessness means to have no options. Hmm. Uh, So the doctor says there's no hope. So your spouse comes home and says, our marriage, there's no hope. So your boss says, there's no hope for your job. So your CPA says, there's no hope for your pension. Um, What does that look like? What does that mean when we're standing at the cave of no options? Uh, Beekner said that uh, the gift of the resurrection is that the last thing is not the worst thing. And so uh, in the cave of hopelessness, we talk about how with Jesus... There are always options. There are always options. And then uh, we end uh, in the cave of resurrection, which takes us on the back half, of, if you will, of Mary Magdalene's experience with Jesus. And um, that the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let us see in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that the cave of resurrection is that the, the reality that um, only, only Jesus 
can turn our wounds. Wounds are things that need to be tended to. My father-in-law has been kicking his bed and he has this ugly wound and he's under wound care. Mm -hmm. And wounds are still tender. But Jesus, because of his resurrection, can transform wounds into scars. Mm -hmm. Scars are testimonies. Mm -hmm. Wounds are places... Wounds, wounds are scars in the making. Mm -hmm. And scars become testimonies. And in my life, I have a, a fair number of scars on my body. I've had my knee replaced this last year. and had knee surgery when I was 15, broke my arm. I have all kinds of scars on my body uh, from the abuse that I've given to it over the years. Uh, but those scars tell a story. And uh, in my life, my scars have told, and they tell my story. Um, they tell my story walking through my son's addiction, the, the scars of, uh, which are now a testimony to the glory of God. Um, my granddaughter was run over a number of years ago when she was 18 months old and was miraculously healed in seven days. Uh, and so that, that's a, a wound that has turned into a, to a scar. A testimony. So um, that's the book, and I want to invite people to walk slowly with me through uh, these uh, seven caves. Wow, that's awesome! That's uh, it's really exciting to be hearing about this. Uh, you know, getting a, a preview glimpse uh, into this work, George. Uh, really appreciate your writing and the way you think and process. Uh, one of the things that you wrote in about, I mean, and you've you've kind of covered it. These caves. Uh, there's a lot of depression that come with being in the cave. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, you know, Cheryl walking through that, your son, uh, depression, addiction, other things. Um, but maybe just as you start to unfold the contents a little bit more, uh, speak to depression. And uh, one of the things you mentioned in here somewhere, um, maybe just dealing with it was uh, the examined life or the uh, reciprocally unexamined life and, and what yeah. that uh, represents. But uh, just speak to that a little bit. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, I try to differentiate in the book the, the reality that, that there are certain ones of us on this planet that suffer from clinical depression, that it's a dopamine deficiency and that there's, there, are, there are psychiatrists and doctors uh, and mental health folks to help folks like my, my wife and my son who have this clinical depression and in some ways in this story i'm not talking about people who suffer from clinical depression uh, i we uh, i i asked my wife to share her testimony uh and how medication and small groups and recovery have helped her out out of that cave of depression um but what i tried to drill down to is what i would call kind of the common blues that we all go through um because some of us i don't uh, i mean you guys know me very well. I, there's not, I don't think there's a depressive bone in my body. Uh, I'm, I'm a fairly jovial, happy person. I can, we and can attest. We can attest. Can you attest? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm happy in the morning. I'm happy at night, you know, for the most part. I'm a, a fairly jovial person. Um, that's not who my wife is. And, and she's been my wife for 41 years. I mean, we met in youth group. Um, she has these moments of, of dark blues and... Uh, my, my lifelong colleague in ministry, Wes Olds, uh, says it, that, that that kind of depression is like dread on the spin cycle in, in your washing machine. And uh, that requires uh, professional medical help. Um, the, kind of, the kind of depression that I think Elijah um, illustrates, his life illustrates, is what I would call circumstantial depression. His was because of circumstances of Jezebel chasing him. I would suggest it's also a post-adrenaline letdown. There's a whole science I didn't get into in the book around adrenaline and how we become addicted to adrenaline. Uh, I believe Americans are addicted to adrenaline. And then it causes blues. It's why we feel so bad, all of us are pastors on the, in this uh, podcast. Uh, that's why we feel so bad on Monday. And I made a decision a long time ago, no life decisions on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, it's a brain thing. Wait, it's wait, your wait. body. <laughs> I can. Uh, uh, our listeners have a perfect example um, of the adrenaline letdown funk okay. in my opening remarks. Okay. So I am. Uh, I may have in our opening welcome 
said, Larry said, what are you looking forward to next year? And I'm like, I don't know, nothing. It's not going to get any better. Life is stupid hard. And guess what? I'm like, I'm I'm sleep deprived and have been meeting deadlines and submitting dissertations and the letdown of that. Uh, yep. You know, it just reminds your your mind is exhausted, your body's exhausted, and you're Absolutely. you're living in that. I I tend to call it a funk. You know, yep, you're it's just the funk. down in a funk. Yep. And yeah, uh, one of the reasons I like Elijah's uh, story so much, and I think you're you're hitting on that it's circumstantial. You know, he had just endured this incredibly brutal you know um, thing, having to be courageous and strong and bold, and um, yeah. And I think the sign that it is circumstantial is that essentially the Lord says to him, uh, you need a nap and a snack, you right? Need a nap and and a talk snack. to me yep. on the other side of this. So, like, yep. go go take a nap in this cave. Here's some yep. food, and we'll meet yep. up on the other side. And, yeah. like, sometimes yeah. a funk is, like, self-care, right? Yep. Uh, ch- check on yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. The Lord will help provide those needs. And you can regroup on the other side of that. And that's yeah. very different than, like you said, the, yeah. you know, the struggle of ongoing depression. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. That, that's also something that's true in, in all of the caves, though, right, is we have a choice to make in the caves. Of no, how, no we're going to, how we're going to mm-hmm. respond to the circumstances. Um, in, in the introduction, you said a cave can either be a hiding place or a holy place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that, that decision is ours, a place of concealing or a place of healing. Uh, he said each of the caves in these Bible stories was a place where someone chose how they would respond in their cave. Would yeah. the cave be a place to elude God or a place to encounter God? Would it be a place to hide from God or a place to seek God? Would they run from God or would they respond to God? Hiding place or holy place? I, yeah. that, that struck me yeah. Through, yeah. through all the caves. And to connect it to, to Gabe's question, uh, particularly around the cave of depression, uh, and, and I would suggest that this is a practice that helps us no matter what season of life we're in uh, is he he uh, I mentioned I did a, a, a little section in, in that chapter what I call uh, practices for depressed people and um, I, I talked about the whole Ignatian daily examine and what that looks like for me as a 21st century follower of Jesus who watches Netflix too much and you know spends way too much time on zoom meetings uh is is i talked about how um i have two practices that kind of uh signpost my day and the first is early in the morning uh i do uh this thing uh i call it the 512 uh, i write out five things i'm grateful for uh, gratitude changes our brain chemistry i write out one thing that's bothering me i try to name the demon in my life and try to take the fangs out of the snake uh, and then two things that will make the day great. And it almost always involves exercise is one of them uh, and eating right and those kinds of things. And then the second is typically some heart attitude disposition, um, depending on the challenges of my day. So that's the beginning of the day. And the end of my day is, uh, is where I do this more daily examine. And the way it's, it works for me is I literally lay in bed, I kiss my wife, Uh, And then I roll over and I lift my hands and I just ask God three questions. You know, I say, Holy Spirit, is there anything I need to celebrate today? Anything I need to confess today? Anything I need to change today? Hmm. And and it's just a daily examine and I review my day with the Holy Spirit and invite God to tell me, what can I celebrate? What what can I just say, God, thank you, you showed up here. What was a glory sighting? Um, what do I need to confess? Where did I mess up? You know, and sometimes I have to just get up out of bed and, you know, send Larry an email. I'm sorry, Larry. I'm so mad <laughs> you today. You know, uh, I think that one might have got lost in your your outbox because wow. I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Uh, that's because I've never been mean to you, Larry. There goes that bus uh, again. Uh, oh I don't yeah. Contest. <laughs> and then and then and then what do I need to change? Is you know is 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 there something that you know, inside of me that needs to shift. Um, you know, do I need to call my therapist or my spiritual director or my coach uh, or a colleague or one of my covenant brothers uh, or one of the amazing younger leaders like you all who are honoring me by calling me their poppy, you know? <laughs> and and so um, those things kind of 
uh, bookend my day. And then I live life in between. You know, I live life in between. And I think it was, uh, I, I'm trying to remember, it was Socrates who said the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it was Merton or Nowen. I, I, I'm, I'm tending to think it was, it was Merton said that the spiritual life is basically awareness. Yeah, yeah. It's just be, being aware. And, and sometimes when we're caught in those circumstantial blues, it's because we're not aware where God's at work. And so, like, gratitude really does change your brain chemistry, and it shifts your attitude from what I have to what I don't have. And, you know, we just came through this hurricane, uh, Hurricane Ian, the, you know, the, 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 a Cat 4 hurricane. When Jim Cantori says that it's the worst hurricane he's had in 90 hurricanes that he's lived through, you know it's a bad hurricane, and it's bad. I drove from the office to my home to do this podcast with you all, and there's still piles of debris in the mile and a half between my house and the church. Um, and so our folks, you know, every day my uh, my next door app is filled with people complaining about something related to the hurricane, and we're two and a half months away from it when it actually happened. And so, how do you handle that stuff when that's every day in front of you? And I think if you don't live an examined life, if you're not aware of where God is at work in your life, you'll find yourself in the cave of depression. And here's what's cool to me is that the process of awareness, bringing spiritual awareness, what is God doing? What's he trying to say? Am I being receptive to that? Sort of combined with the things of examine of where I'm in control of my life, Mm -hmm. that doesn't just apply to depression, but mm. it would be a healthy process for the other caves too of grief. Yeah. Um, you know, many of those same practices, you know, were true for Gabe and I in, in seasons of grief, right? Where I have to get comfortable in this cave for a minute, let the Lord use it as a, a place of uh, holiness and presence, while I also try uh, to get my hands around some things that I can tangibly control. Uh, I can't control the grief and I can't control what happened. I can control how I'm going to, um, you know, be grateful for things anyway or what I'm going to try to tackle. And um, the combination of those two things I think is really brilliant in the in the work because you're not saying uh, you have to let, like everything has to feel out of control and you get in this cave and you don't know what's going to happen, and but the Lord will do something. It, it's kind of a mashup of like God's going to meet you in that place you know, mm-hmm. if you allow him to. And then there are some mindsets or tangible tasks of things that you can do to help you manage that particular cave too. Yeah. And I, for me, as having a, a very anxious brain, is that all those anxieties of grief, depression, anger, you know, hopelessness, they sort of multiply when you feel out of control. Um, and so by grabbing hold of like, today I'm going to have a gratitude list, right? Or I'm going to examine what I could do differently, it, it helps pull some things in your control just enough to keep you from spinning out, essentially. Yeah. So that yeah. mashup of like, it's a holy place, but you have some responsibility in it too, um, yeah. I think is, is really practically helpful for folks. Yeah, and, and what I would say is, um, it's one of the reasons why I think the, uh, the five of us um, are not just followers of Jesus, but we're followers of Jesus in this kind of Wesleyan stream as we try to hold together the reality that it's not this kind of fatalistic experience where stuff happens to us and we're just victims of mm-hmm. some divine you know, uh, puppet master in the sky. And there are theological traditions where that's kind of the heart of where they are. The other side of it is that we're also then not um, we're not the masters of the universe. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. acknowledge divine uh, providence and sovereignty, and yet we also acknowledge human free will. Now, we don't try to figure all that out. We don't believe that there's a mystery as to how all that works out. I've, I've said that if I could write a book that figures out um, God's sovereignty and human free will, I'd make a, not a million, a billion dollars <laughs> if we could nail it down and get it all figured out. But we can't. There's a mystery to it. And we live in that tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what you just said, Sarah. So that when I'm in the cave of anger 
And I'm really angry because one of the things I write in the chapter about anger is that there are legitimate reasons to be angry in yes. life. There, and, and, and so we're not, a, again, we're not part of that fatalistic theological tribe that says, well, you know, God just needed another angel. No, he didn't need another angel. No, heaven help. No, no, no. Bristol did not pass because God needed another angel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fatalistic understanding. And, and yet at the same time, it's, it is mystery and it is outside of our understanding. And yet we try to, try to live the tension. Uh, Wes's dad, Pastor Wes Olds uh, at Grace Church, his dad was Howard Olds. And he talked about living the questions living the questions that we live the questions in our faith and i think this book tries to uh, tries to create a, a way of looking at these seasons of life that all of us go through um, we love to say at grace church life is iffy as a matter of fact when you spell it it's got a big if in the middle of it l i f e life is iffy nice that's not the question that'll preach <laughs> Yeah, that's not the question. The question is not life is iffy. The question is now what? Mm-hmm. And I think cave time uh, is my best attempt uh, as of late to try to help people live the iffiness of life. Yeah, that's good. Adam, you've been awful quiet. Yeah, just listening, taking it all in. <laughs> um, I I do appreciate your thoughts, George, particularly around. Uh, kind of where you wind up uh, at the end of the book, the the cave of resurrection, yeah. right? Um, yeah. you, we, we walk through all these difficult caves to be in, uh, and all of them are kind of wrapped up in the hope we encounter in the cave of resurrection that transforms all of it and, mm-hmm. and helps us to walk as resurrection people. So, um, you know, as we kind of draw to a close here in our conversation, can you kind of walk us through those thoughts that, that you share? Yeah towards the end of the book there. Yeah, and, and, and Adam, you, you, you appropriately point out that it's at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's at the end. Yeah. Um, you know, resurrection uh, is... I, I wish every day of my life was Easter Sunday. Hmm. But it's not. It's not Easter Sunday. Uh, Easter Sunday is... is yes, I mean, we are Easter people... But we tend to live more in the reality of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. Life is it, life is a lot more silent Saturdays, yeah. Monday, Thursdays, and Good Fridays than it is Easter Sundays. And again, it, 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 that's why I love our theological tradition. You know, uh, what is it? How do we navigate? So we live with the. How do we navigate the realities of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday? And Silent Saturday Life. Um, Dave Mannion uh, wrote a book called The Land Between. Hmm. And he said basically that most of life is not lived in Egypt or in the promised land. It's lived in the land between, in the wilderness. That's where we most of us live our life. Yeah. And, and the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection is what allows us to endure as pilgrims as we walk through our own personal Monday Thursdays, Good Fridays, and then a whole lot of silent Saturdays. Mm. Um, and, and so our resurrection, our resurrection hope is not simply, uh, it's, it's not simply uh, self-generated. Um, our hope is in the person of Jesus, the resurrected person who suffered, died, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and as we sit on this podcast, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Amen. Amen. And, and that, is, that is our hope. That is our hope. Um, and and uh, uh, so I love that the scars of Jesus were what he asked Thomas to touch. Hmm. So Jesus... Now, this, this, will, this is a theological mind work. I wonder if when I get to heaven, with whatever the Romans' resurrected body means, whether my body will still have the scars of my knee surgery, yet my knee will be completely healed. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that the precursor to 
the resurrection in the last day was Jesus in those days between his resurrection and his ascension. And he had scars. And those scars were his testimony. Mm -hmm. Those scars were his testimony of his life. The scars on his back, the scars on his head, the scars on his side and his hands and his feet. Those were his testimony. And so, yeah, we, we are people who, who are scars become our testimony. And our, my, so, so when I start to wonder, do, do I still serve a supernatural God? I have to remember the scar of Zoe's accident and how Zoe was healed in seven days. Hmm. I have to remember that my son Nathan, who was this close to death with his opiate addiction, homelessness, suicide attempts, drug overdoses, that my son Nathan is whole and well, living in Colorado, um, and that gives me hope, even when I look at the mystery of death, the mystery of suffering, where it doesn't always end up like Zoe and Nathan. Because I've got my long laundry list of things that didn't, where I didn't get the miracle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and it's a tension that we live with. You know, Mother Teresa said, when I get to heaven, God's got a lot of, a, a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> there, there's a lot of explaining to do. But I get enough of the foretaste of a resurrection to know that I can have hope as I walk through my Monday, Thursdays, Good Fridays, and Silent Saturdays. Well, you know, and we just moved through the season of Advent. Um, you know, we're, we're on the heels Mm -hmm. of having been in this season of, of tension of the hope and the anticipation for Christ's arrival and Christ coming again. And, and uh, we do that again through Lent, right? You know, um, death and darkness uh, towards light. And it's, it's funny to me <laughs> that as much as we have to live in tension, we're so in denial of it. You know, we think mm -hmm. that we'll get through the, to the other side of attention and then not have another. And um, so, sometimes set ourselves up that way. But the beauty of the gospel uh, that we just celebrated in Advent and that you reinforce in the book is that it's not us escaping to some sort of higher ideal in Jesus. It's Jesus entering in, right? And stepping in. He's with you in the cave. And um, so often in, in faith, we just get that backwards. Like I'm looking for an escape or a relief from it and I'll go to the place you know, where I'm with Jesus and everything's right and everything's whole. But uh, the beauty of the gospel is his entering in, right? And yeah, uh, that he's right yeah. in the cave with you. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, yeah. and what we've said, the, the worst thing doesn't have to be the last thing, but mm -hmm. resurrection is the last thing. Is yeah. the last thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thanks the Lord. It, 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 it comes after the worst thing. So yeah. the worst thing is the second to last thing. Worst <laughs> yeah. So um, hey, we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of fun here, uh, and George, you can you can hang with us uh, uh, for this. Uh, we we usually do a little bit of trivia or some fun game. In the last couple episodes, we've done some trivia. Uh, two episodes ago, Adam took the gold star in some World Series trivia, uh, and then last time, Gabe led us through some uh, Christmas movie uh, trivia. I did really good on all the Die Hard questions, uh, but it just, it just brought Adam like, and I to like impressively well. <laughs> Yeah, like I was amazed, yeah. blown away. Yeah, he only got it one is, wrong. It, it's a Christmas movie. Um, anyway, uh, so Adam and I tied on that one, but he claimed that since he had a gold star from the previous episode, that he was still the winner. It's January now. It's a new season of Midnight Theology, so we're all starting with a blank slate. Uh, so we're gonna try some New Year's themed trivia, and I, I'm not even gonna just throw out random things. I'm gonna try to just give you true or false or multiple choice stuff and we'll see who uh who comes out on on top let's okay? see if age and wisdom uh, are conducive <laughs> to this so so i get to play yeah yeah of course. oh that was the yes. bus again but 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 more gently okay you see if age okay. and wisdom right, so, he just called right. gold again wisdom it's called wisdom <laughs> the uh the, the first the first one is true or false the earliest recorded new year's festivities date back four thousand years to ancient babylon I'll go with true. 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 It is true. However, the Babylonians celebrated the new year in the spring. Mm. Makes sense. 
All right, this is this is a just a multiple choice between two. What movie generated the highest box office sales ever for a New Year's Day um, showing? Star Wars: The Force Awakens or Avatar? Avatar. 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 It was actually The Force Awakens. Uh, Only by the date. Just on the day. Yeah, thirty-four point three million on New Year's Day in two thousand sixteen. Gosh, because Avatar uh, is the highest grossing ever, right? Uh, if if it's not currently, it was for a long time. Yeah, yeah. True, true or false? The first tournament of the Roses Parade in Pasadena, California, was in eighteen ninety. False. False. True. Yeah, I'm, I'm going false as true. well. Yeah, it was, it was true. You guys are. Sarah took that one. 1890, uh, you know what? Whatever. Yeah. It says the bountiful floral harvest in California, even in the middle of winter, inspired Valley Hunt Club members to add the famous Rose Parade to the competition. I, I was amazed, Larry, you didn't say I was around during the 1890s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, true or false? The official Times Square New Year's Eve confetti contains wishes from people all around the world. It's like stuff I'm written gonna, on the confetti. True. True. I'm going to go true. true. Yeah, that sounds like something they would I've do. I've heard that somewhere. It is true just since 2015. Hmm. That's cool. Uh, and is it Germany or Italy where it is considered to be good luck to wear red underwear on New Year's Eve? That sounds like an Italian thing for Very sure. Very Italian sound. <laughs> I'll go false. Germany just to cover I'm my bases. Uh, Gabe's oh, German. That... He has no red underwear. Does no Aleman. <laughs> It was Italy. Let's move on. (laughs) Uh, True or false? 40% of New Year's resolutions fail by February. True. False. I I think it's higher. higher. Yeah, it's got to be higher. It is false because it's actually 80%. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds more like it. By February. True or false? The Times Square ball weighs 11,875 pounds. True, give or take. True. False. Eleven thousand eight hundred seventy-six. Yeah. It is. It is true. Twelve foot in diameter, covered in crystals. <laughs> Eleven thousand eight hundred seventy-five pounds. I just. I said true. I may have snarked about it afterwards, but I said true. Just to be clear. True or false? The symbol of Baby New Year can be traced back to ancient Roman tradition. Baby New ba- Year. Baby probably, New Year. Probably. What yeah, the that? diaper with the diaper. You don't know what Baby New Year is? No. No, don't even know. I'm gonna have to Google this right now. What? Okay, so ba- question again. Baby. True or false? <laughs> the symbol of Baby New Year can be traced back to ancient Roman tradition. True. Sure. Why not? What I in say, the world? Yeah, true. It's false. It's actually Greek. Greek. Oh, the Greeks and the, the Romans Greek are tradition much of the a, same thing. It's a Greek tradition of escorting a baby throughout their villages to honor the Greek god Dionysus. Isn't that like potato, potato, Greek and Roman? No, I mean, I'm pretty the sure the Romans, Romans would disagree. No. <laughs> Romans, yeah. What, was this some to sort Germans, of like, maybe. Italy? <laughs> yeah. Was this some sort of claymation Italy? flick back in the '60s like or something? Did they make like wow. a claymation Have Baby you New seen, Year? Like, the little baby? Like, I can't believe you've never no. heard of Baby New Year. Yeah. This is sad. No. I'm so sad for you, Adam. <laughs> I I just feel I just feel sad for you. Like man. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. We're we're on the home stretch. So True or false? In some parts of the world, people eat exactly twelve grapes at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve. Sure. True. True. Okay. False. <laughs> It is true. It's a tradition in Spain to eat one grape for each month of the new year to bring good luck. Huh. Cool. Spaniards. Oh, wait, true, or fa- true or false? Dick Clark was the first broadcast host of Times Square New Year's Eve celebrations. I'm going to say false I by two years. False. false. I, yeah, they, they, they probably started before him, but he made it a thing. Right. True. I'm Correct. It is, it is false. Guy Lombardo ah. and his Royal Canadians Big Band hosted New Year's Eve festivities Guy for 48 Lombardo. years, starting oh, wow. with the first New Year's Eve radio broadcast in 1929. Okay. Canadians? Canadians? Yeah. Hey. Wow. All right. True or false? The majority of Americans stay awake until midnight on New Year's Eve. False. 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 I mean, I don't. It is true. What? 
Wallet, Wallet Hub reports that only 12% of Americans fall asleep before midnight. Wow. Well, I am one of them. That's surprising. Are they taking and into then, account generations like where George comes from? I, I don't oh, know. Okay, last one. <laughs> true, true or false? <laughs> the Times Square ball has been dropped every year since 1907. There's got to be one year that it didn't come it down. Didn't. It was a glitch. Yeah, going false. Like There's World a trick in here somewhere. George just got it with World War II. Uh, there were, due to World War II blackouts, Times Square remained dark in 1942 and 1943. There it is. Since none of this matters, I'm gonna give the gold star to george because yeah. then that way i don't fall behind on the next wait episode. look adam look <laughs> baby new year always has a top hat what? always has a top hat and a diaper yeah. have a, literally never seen that image in my life a ever. diaper and a top hat and usually a sash that says happy new year usually mm. too yeah now you know apparently i live wow. under a rock because i've i've never you know seen what? it ever for new year's you, you should dress up as I, the I new year's baby sad. Adam's gonna dress as Baby New Year next be the, year. Be Baby New Year this year. Make wow. up nope. for all the all the years lost. I'm gonna dress as Taylor Swift this week. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which uh, well, well, all right. Hey, that's uh, that's all the time we have for today. On that note, make sure we're gonna give you a link to uh, invite resources uh, if you'd like to get a copy of Everybody Needs Some Cave Time. Uh, it'll be available on January 24th. But you can pre-order right now, and we encourage you to pre-order because that means that George has to hand sign it, mm. uh, uh, and, a, and, a, and a chance at some other goodies. Uh, yeah, for, you for pre-order. You, and there's some. You can win some barbecue. There's some really good barbecue. Yeah. So uh, the the link for invite resources is there. Uh, we encourage you to get that, and we hope that uh, along with George, we pray and hope that uh, the book is a blessing uh, to you. Uh, next month, we hope that you'll tune in. We're going to address the elephant in the room for many churches, especially those in the United Methodist Church, and you know what elephant we're talking about. Decades-long debate over the extent of the inclusion of LGBTQ persons in the life of the church. For United Methodists in particular, this is a difficult conversation right now as we struggle with scripture and faithfulness to loving our neighbor, and we'll do our best, especially for our UMC listeners, to share openly uh, about what has led the denomination to this point and how we see the future of the church and where we're finding hope in the process. Until then, thanks for joining us on Midnight Theology. And as you begin this new year, we leave you with a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better person. See you next time.